Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. Welcome, you're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. If you are joining us for the first time, here's a quick primer about what this show is. Firstly, Nerdette is a podcast hosted by me, Greta Johnson. And me, Trisha Bobita. And as the second part of the title suggests, this is a show where we dissect and summarize and wax poetic about each episode of Game of Thrones. And as the third part of the title suggests, when we do that, we are joined by the host of NPR's news quiz, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Peter Segel. There is no need for me to say anything here. Let's just assume it was clever. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Oh, good. So today we are rehashing Season 7, Episode 1 of Game of Thrones. We're here, guys. We did it. We did it. We made it. I even got here on time. (laughs) You were early, (laughs) sir. I was. I was quite impressed. (laughs) And before we dive into the first location, since HBO is clearly upping the production value this season, we've heard that there are things like more stuntmen set on fire than at any other time in history. You were really excited about that. You mentioned that last time. kind of awesome. Like the most, and I also just, I really want to know what they dethroned. Like, what was the show, what was the show or movie that had previously oh, yeah, set the that most is an people on fire? Question. I must know. Someone's if the internet know knows, there, please yeah. tell me. But Trisha, you were saying we have upped our own production value as well, right? We got some fancy new gimmicks this time around. Indeed, and I'm promised that these new effects, let's see here, uh-huh. um, cost not more than $1.1 million. Oh, good. Can we hear one? Yeah. The Tree. Wow, you can really just hear all the money we spent. All it's those right there. dollars. It's right there in the audio tape. There it is. What the hell was that? It that was, was someone saying the twins, which is the first place yeah. we're going. Oh, here. I see. Oh, okay. That, we're We've so, got we're them sort for of, all of them. This is sort of an, oh, I, I'm so excited. You should be. They're pretty great. I can't wait. <laughs> This is like an audio version of the opening sequence where we get to go around the map. <laughs> yep, totally. Okay. Should we listen to it one more time before we dive into our opening scene? Let's listen to it and then let's jump right into what happens at the twins because it's very exciting. The twins. <laughs> oh, it's even better after a second time, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear a clip of Arya Stark in the cold open from the season seven premiere where she has just taken off her Walder Frey face and says this. When people ask you what happened here, tell them the North remembers. Tell them winter came for House Frey. So good. All right, season seven, cold open. I'm with you. Yeah. Were you guys totally mind blown or were you like, oh, Walder Frey's dead. This has to be Arya. Yeah, exactly. That really? Was pretty, that was pretty clear. Especially oh, as soon as he said, I'm sure you're wondering why I called you back here for another feast. Because among, I, I was thinking about that line and that the purpose of the line, I think, was to tell us exactly where we were in time. Because the last time we saw Walder Frey, I think it was the last episode of last season, he was having a feast with Jamie Lannister who kind of insulted him. So this was meant to indicate this is less than two weeks later than that. Mm. But because I'm me, <laughs> I couldn't help but think about what Arya had to do to pull that off. So she kills Walder Frey. She hides the body. She takes his face and that somehow through... Um, Magic. Magic gives her also the voice and the size of the actor playing uh, Walter Frey. And then she invites, excuse me, he, she invites the entire Frey family. They come. She gets the wine. She poisons the wine. She arranges all of this all by her lonesome for like a period of less than two weeks. That's pretty impressive stuff for an indeterminately aged teenager. No kidding. And then she gets to hang out with Ed Sheeran. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) As a reward. (laughs) <laughs> it seemed. Isn't, I don't know anything about Ed Sheeran, but yeah, isn't he popular neither. with the adolescent girls? I, th- I think I'm too old to find him popular. Trisha, Ed Sheeran is is that a thing in your life? Popular. <laughs> he sings music. He's good at it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Maisie Williams turns out is a huge fan, and so that mm-hmm. was kind of a part of why he uh-huh. was there. It was it was a little treat for Maisie Williams. I have to say, I thought that David Bradley playing Arya, playing Walder Frey mm. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The really subtle things he did in that performance to make it clear that he wasn't the Walder Frey we knew, but a pretty good 
uh, facsimile, I just thought was a really fun acting challenge for him probably, and I thought it really Although when made he a ga- fun start to When the he gave his much younger bride a little side eye and said, I'm not going to waste that on women, that was that was pure Walder. That was not <laughs> Arya as Walder. That was that was reaching back. I also noticed that I used to I used to say this about poor old Walder when he was alive. Even <laughs> after, after death, he never gets to be anywhere except that one room. Yeah, yeah. Honest to God, I don't think he ever appears in this series other than in that room. I mean, I presume like when he's done having conversations or feasts or murders or whatever, he just goes in the corner and goes to sleep. That that's... was such a good version of the show. Conversations or feasts or murders. <laughs> Pretty Those much, that's it. <laughs> Give me Game of Thrones in three words. <laughs> oh, that's about it. Yeah. That's about it. And then everybody's dead. So other noteworthy Arya storyline things, people seemed really concerned when she was hanging out with those soldiers if she was old enough to drink. Yeah, that was that was an interesting question. Yeah. Are you old enough to drink? So there is a drinking age in Apparently. Westeros. And is it is it the same Since age? when? It's the same. Once you kill a man, you can drink. I'm pretty yeah, sure apparently. that's how it goes. Right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the general rule in Westeros. <laughs> Instead of showing an ID, you have to show the removed face of the last oh, person God. you killed when you go into a tavern. Um, I Do we want to talk about that scene now? Because yeah. to my knowledge, this was the first time, and again, this entire series, where every anybody has met another group of people on the road, and it didn't end up immediately in murder, hmm. right? If yeah. anybody can think of one where they didn't immediately end up killing each other or some proportion of people getting killed by other people, I mean, every single meeting, like when Brienne and, and uh, Jamie run into those um, Stark soldiers on the road and she ends up killing all of them, uh, when they run into the guys at the inn and they end up killing all of them, uh, uh, Sandor and, uh, and Arya... So instead, they sit down and it's like, it's so nice. It was almost suspect how friendly they all were. It was like, this feels weird to me. But I guess Ed Sheeran, so it's just all good. Yeah, man. (laughs) uh, And also, here's another question. So Arya, as we now know, is a mystical, magical um, master of disguise. She can appear as anybody who she kills or who's dead. And yet she's traveling as herself, as a rather helpless-looking young woman alone on a horse. Why is she doing that? And then she meets this group of soldiers who are Lannister soldiers. I don't think they say that, but they're all wearing Lannister yep. armor. Mm-hmm. And they're really, really nice. They give <laughs> they're her some. So they're nice. so nice. Not only do they share their food, but they go out of the way to say, well, our guest goes first. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. my gosh. These Mother are the... always told me to be a good boy, God. basically, the one that is so they, ridiculous. They are literally the nicest people we have ever met in this entire TV series, right? <laughs> they and are. Arya sits down. And she smiles at them, and she eats a rabbit, and she smiles at them. And I'm trying to think, what is going on here? She runs into people. Normally, they get there. It's all murder then happens, but instead, niceness happens. And one of them is Ed Sheeran. Yeah, here's what I think the purpose of that scene was. Yes, Trisha was to show us that Arya still has a bit of herself left. That she's not just Dexter Morgan, a killing machine. Right. Mm. Because if she had decided, and she probably is capable now of, if she had just decided, well, these are Lannister foot soldiers. They are close enough to someone on my list. I will murder them all. We would have thought, okay, you know what? She's just crazy now. Mm -hmm. Like she just murders everyone she meets. But she killed the Freys because they killed her family. These Lannister foot soldiers, not directly related to Cersei or anything that's happened to her family. She still has limits. She still has boundaries. She can still laugh with Ed Sheeran in the forest. Oh, my God. (laughs) Instead of being a complete murdering psychopath at all times. I thought thought that was important to see that she has a bit of Arya Stark left in Uh, her. I'd like to voice a a small disagreement. (laughs) Yes. It has to be very small, Peter. She is going to murder all of them. Really? You yes. think so? You know that I've been going on a little bit about like what all of this has done to Arya's mindset yeah. in terms of her training in murder. And, it's problematic. And certainly. keep in mind, as we just discussed, she just killed, oh, randomly 40 people at once at some great effort and logistical... I mean, not uh, randomly. Not randomly. She didn't kill them randomly, but she certainly killed them, and it took her some effort. So now she's just going to be nice to the first group of enemy soldiers she meets. And also, we're forgetting to mention something. They say, well, what are you doing? Where are you going? She says... I'm going to go to King's Landing, and I'm going to kill the queen. (laughs) (laughs) I love when she starts giggling, too. That was my favorite. It was just like, yes. This is my theory. The theory that is mine. (laughs) uh, And I also thought about this, that Ed Sheeran is one of the group. I don't know anything about Ed Sheeran. I know that the show likes to have musicians do cameos, like there was a guy from Coldplay in The Red Wedding. Um, I think that he is not long for this TV show. (laughs) <laughs> because otherwise you'd have to give him more lines to say badly. So my theory is that she is going to kill probably just one of them and take his identity. 
So I think that this is my prediction that we're oh, going to get a scene wise. where we have a group Don't of these. Don't call him a wife. Gather around and listen while old Peter Sagelman explains this show to you. We have a group of these people and somebody says, hey, Bob or Ned or whoever, um, what happened to that little girl who joined us the other day and ate some rabbits? I don't know. She just disappeared. When it turns out what she really did was killed one of them, took his face and is now going to get herself into uh, King's Landing as one of the Lannister soldiers. And now Maisie Williams is out of work and Ed Sheeran is a cast right Yeah, and right. Ed Sheeran as Arya. <laughs> well, I thought about that, but that would require more acting from Ed Sheeran, right, which right. I don't think is in the You is seem in the skeptical cards. of that. I seem that. skeptical of that. I'm sure he's a lovely singer, but I'm guessing that you know, acting is hard, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't think Ed Sheeran is just going to be able to do that that easily. Uh, all right. Should we move on to our next location, Trisha? Indeed. The wall. <laughs> you had me going with the sound effect. I was like, oh, that's effectively spooky and windblown. <laughs> who, who did you hire to do that? that it's an outside consultant. They're very fancy. Very fancy consultants. They've also worked on such titles as The Legends of the Hidden Temple and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> We're all pretty happy about it. So okay, we only spent wall. a minute or two at the wall, but I think it was a pretty important minute. First yeah. of all, well done, Mira, building a sled, getting Bran all the way there with no horse. Thanks a lot, yeah. Uncle Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite was when they had to get, like, the two super brawny guys out to help yeah. carry the sled. And that like, Mira had been yeah, carrying exactly. by herself. Yeah. Totally. And I noticed as they went, went into the, to the tunnel, she put her little hand to help push. She still cares. They're I also like friends. that these notes say Dolores Ed instead of Dolores Ed. Yes. Close enough. Guys. It's super close. It's just, yeah, I like it a lot. Dolores Ed, be... Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, Dolores. Is it Dolores? Dolores. What? Dolores Ed. Yes. Yeah. I get the second D on there. Yeah, that's good. All right. So we see a vision from Bran that is the army of the dead with the Night King. Are you sure that's a vision from Bran? I think so. It was the opening shot post-credits, right? Yeah. And so the windswept thing and the army of the dead coming. And then the next shot is Bran, right? I guess you're right. I don't know for sure that it was in Bran's head. But the reason I think it was is because it seems like, and the internet seems to agree with me, at least some of it, (laughs) that what it looks like is happening is that they are sort of the storm and the grass underneath them is freezing under their feet, more or less. So that would mean that they are walking not a not before the wall, but after the wall yeah. in their quest, which they aren't past the wall yet. So yeah. that's why I thought that it was a vision of the future. Yeah. Also, mm. that real big undead giant is three scary. Of them. Mm. There are three They're so undead scary. giants. They're so scary. Oh, dear. Oh, it's not good. It's not good for the good guys. Uh, but yes, Bran gets dragged in, so we now know that he's safe and at the Black Watch, although I don't on the Black Watch, that in the, um, he's in the Night's, he's with the Night's Watch. What's he going to do there? Is he going to just like hang out with them in, in sort of a maester-like way and tell them what to do? I don't know. I feel like so many questions that I have are like, do certain people know about other certain people that they should know? You know, like yeah. like with Bran and Winterfell, like that would be very helpful information for him. But I assume the Night's Watch doesn't know that. Well, maybe they because they knew John was leaving to go. Speaking of knowing things <laughs> and drinking, uh-huh. um, why doesn't Arya go to Winterfell to at least let her sister and, as far as she knows, her brother, at least let them know that she's alive. Why Does doesn't Arya she do that? know they're at Winterfell? Well, Arya seems to know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Arya got herself to um, the castle, and Ar- I mean, uh, the twins, and Arya managed to you know, find her way in there. She seemed to be a well-informed young lady. So are the twins closer to town than Winterfell? They must they are, be. No, they're, they're, they're sort of on the border between the north and the riverlands. But you may remember uh, that we first right. met the twins in the first season when they were marching south. And the first thing they had to yep. do was get across the river, which is at the twins. Greta, I need to paint a giant map on the floor for yes. you, don't I? Yeah, you got some paint? Yeah. And then, in true Cersei fashion... Greta, we'll step on it while oh, it's yeah, still totally. wet. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm going to stomp all <laughs> I, over your I, stupid mat. I, I just want, you know, how, you know how Robot Chicken, that TV show used to do these hilarious little bits about like like bit characters in Star Wars, like uh-huh. what happened in the before and after their scenes? I would like to see a little thing about the guy who was painting the floor. <laughs> who they walk in, she's I'm painting the floor and she steps on it. It's not even dry. And then I have to leave. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. That's where my sympathies go. Okay, but it's time for our next location, right? We've discussed the wall enough. I'm bracing a little myself. bit south. I'm Let's not go going south. to laugh. Th- this is my favorite one, actually. <laughs> Wait for it. Winterfell. 
<laughs> we didn't go south. We went north. What are you talking about? From the wall oh, to right. Winterfell? I, I, was I know that we, much about we, my we, maps. We, we took a little... Um, what's yeah, you did that. We were that. talking about the that was you. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. Winterfell. <laughs> so we've got quite the gang at Winterfell now. Yeah. So we've got John, Sansa, Davos, Brienne and Pod, Littlefinger, Tormund, mm-hmm. Giants, Bane. Tormund, Giants, Bane. They did a real good job with that, Trisha. I think yep. you called it. Yep. Well, I, mean, with the, I mean, the wagging of the eyebrows with again her at Brienne. And, yeah, him and Brienne. That is, that I mean, that is, I, are you guys getting a little tired of that? I mean, because oh, this no. is like the fourth time that we've seen just Tormund just wag his eyebrows and lick his lips. <laughs> Greta just did it to me, and it was really great. Very Tormund-like, Greta. Um, Thank and, you, Peter. And we got to—we got to—come on. I mean, something has got to happen. I either, don't know, man. Either Brienne punch him in the mouth or kiss him or neither or something. There is so little whimsy in this show that if that's all we get, I'll take it. All right. But you I know? think that we need, we need, it's the same whimsy, different whimsy, different whimsy. New whimsy. New whimsy. But go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want there to just be a scene where he's like, I have to go guard this other castle that's very far away now. So, you know, now or never. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't, I'm without not, the I don't want to die a virgin, Brienne. <laughs> I would love to hear Tormund say that. Oh, my goodness. All right. John is trying to be a leader, but he has a sister who is not following Godfather rules. You don't argue with family. Yeah. I thought of the same scene. Come on. Never disagree. Ne- ne- what, 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 what does the Godfather say to James Caan after they meet with, uh, with Salazzo? And he, uh, he says, well, what about this deal? That my father doesn't like. Yeah. And he says, never, never share any, never disagree. What, what, what is, is a great line. I guess he's never, never show. seen Godfather. I guys. know. <laughs> well, it's the sentiment of the but line yeah. is you don't argue with family in front of other people. For exactly. sure. Yeah. Whatever never. the line may have been, and I'll go find it out before you guys can send it in. But then in The Godfather, <laughs> which everybody except Greta has seen, what then immediately happens is the bad guys in The Godfather, Salazzo and company, try to assassinate. Marlon Brando, the godfather, Don Corleone, so they can make a deal with his son, who seemed to indicate he'd be open to it. That's the, that puts the whole plot in motion. So if there's a parallel here, other than Sansa being annoying, <laughs> it's going to be that people in that room are going to think, huh, maybe Sansa would be more to our liking. Time to kill John again. Oh, no. That's possible. But it didn't go well the first time. That's true. Yeah, who, nobody's going to try and kill There's him so again. much little finger... Oh my sulking gosh. in the corner. Yeah, lurking. Uh, I thought it was more of a lurk than a sulk. Yeah, and if anybody is going to take advantage of that public split between them, it's going to be Littlefinger, yes. right? I mean, he's he's as you say, he's just standing there looking at her constantly. That line also when he's just when he tells Sansa he just wants her to be happy. It's like, really, really? dude, that's really? What you But want? are you happy? There were a <laughs> couple of anachronisms. So but really does anybody in Westeros ever say those words? But are you happy? What do you want? I don't know. There are drinking ages. There's concern about happiness. It's yeah. just a whole new Westeros. It's, it's like, what's going to happen? It's like, why don't you come with me? We're doing a yoga retreat <laughs> in the arbor. It'll be we'll nice. Detox. Yeah, we can we'll detox. <laughs> we'll write down our dream quests. <laughs> oh, vision boards. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Oh, so we have a clip from Lady Mormont, who again just stole the show. I don't plan on knitting by the fire while men fight for me. I might be small, Lord Glover, and I might be a girl. But I am every bit as much a northerner as you. Indeed you are, my lady. No one is quite... And I don't need your permission to defend the north. We'll begin training every man, woman, boy and girl on Bear Island. Murmuring, murmuring. This is one of my favorite things because I watched the show with closed caption on. And so whenever these scenes happen, there's literally brackets murmuring. Murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. Murmuring in agreement. So if I'm not mistaken, this is the second time... That uh, Lady Mormont, who seems to be 11, would you say that's accurate? Um, sure. Has stood up in the middle of, I mean, because that happened in the last episode of last season. Now she stood up in the first episode of this season and put down a rebellion, or at least if, if only an emotional verbal one, by um, the other lords. And I think that you guys get to do that. I'm talking to the showrunners now. You get to do that twice. But let's, uh, no more, I think. Mm. I think because if we see Lady Mormont standing up again, not rising very high, and 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 putting the other lords in her place. That will that will like no, no. I don't think they can do that again. I was just remembering. I think you're right, Peter. I think that that will sort of play itself out. But I'm excited to see her potentially become an ally and actually have something to say as we go forward. As the North is figuring out how to fight, because she does seem to have good ideas and is not afraid to say so. But I do wonder if there's something that's happening in here that's actually a slightly darker reality that the show is reflecting, which is that when you fight wars a lot, 
and you fight long wars, the people in charge end up being children. Because now we have Lady Mormont in Bear Island. Yeah. And then we see the Car Stark mm-hmm. and Umber children. 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 Who are now in charge of their houses. And then you have John, the ripe old age of what, early 20s, Sansa. Just more and more we're seeing that basically no one over the age of 25, no one old enough to rent a car in our society, <laughs> is ruling in Westeros except for Cersei at this point. <laughs> That's true, and it, it harks back to something from the books, is that in the books, all of these characters are much younger than they even are in the TV series. When we meet Daenerys in the books, she's 13. When we meet Rob in the books, he's 15. And George R. R. Martin has said that's because in the Middle Ages, kids had to grow up very, very quickly because that's how it People didn't live long, as you say. Parents tended to die early, either from war or from disease. So it was often that what we would consider as children had to take an adult responsibility. Didn't the Internet tell us that Alice Karstark is going to be a major character this season? Well, how did I get that notion? Um, hmm. I'm not sure, but I think that uh, the actors that they cast in those roles, I mean, they were pretty intentional about making them known to us, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see them again, but I'm not sure if there's a reason why Alice Karstark is going to be more important or less important Um, than the others. I have a question and an observation, which is that uh, the question is, do you think there's going to be another romantic interest for John before this season is over? he does like gingers. He does like gingers. I'm wondering if that's what Alice Karstark is about. Of course, everybody's Hmm. predicting that he and Daenerys are going to join forces in more ways than one. Yeah, I just figured it would be him and Daenerys. Because you'd think but with a Targaryen thing about marrying relatives. Although right. technically, she is not his sister. She is his aunt. Right. I thought they were cousins. Oh, no, aunt. Is she his aunt? Yeah, yeah because okay. she's, her brother was the dead Rhaegar, who was oh, right, right, John's right. father. Okay. The, the observation I had is, um, is Sansa's perspective. Sansa is like, why are you facing north when our real enemies are to the south, when I think what Sansa really means is the people I hate most in the world are in the south, and I want you to go kill them and not worry about the uh, skeleton army. And doesn't she say, I learned a lot from Cersei? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So is she becoming, as we watch, to to go back again to childhood trauma playing itself out, is she becoming a Cersei-like figure who is so intent on destroying her enemies that she becomes blind to other, um, shall we say, niceties of mercy, kindness, and or, um, uh, shall we say, being smart? I don't know. I mean, in her defense, has she seen the White Walkers? No. You know? Like, I think that enemy is much more real when you actually believe that it, you know, have seen it for your own eyes. From her point of view, Cersei is kind of the worst, right? She is the worst, but she says, I learned a lot from Cersei. Yeah. And and I'm wondering what she means. I mean, what would, I mean, we can speculate, oh, well, she's become heartless and and, uh, stuck on vengeance, but what does she mean? She means maybe something like, you have to strike your enemies before they strike you. Maybe she means you can't trust anybody. Maybe she means that it's far more important to be effective than to be good or honest or just. All of those things might come to play. I mean, it could also just be she learned what not to do also, right? Yeah. No, I think she sees her as a role model for how to gain and keep power. Right. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's super scary. Also, because I recently watched the first season, I don't think she or anybody else has discussed this yet, but she played a role in her father being killed. She sort of came to Queen Cersei way back when, or actually as King Joffrey at the time, and said, oh, I'm sure my father is very, very sorry, and I'm sure if you ask him, he will confess his crimes and and accept your mercy. And that's what led to Ned being actually executed at the last minute. So she probably thinks about that somewhat, although I don't think she's ever discussed it. To be determined. In a minute, we head further south, where there are a great many maps and bedpans and soup. (laughs) <laughs> and bedpans and soup. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. 
This is Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. And now we are moving on to... <laughs> King's Landing. This is like a 1995 Legend of Zelda video game. I thought game. the flute was really nice. All right. <laughs> the bell. I thought it was I thought it was accurate. Okay. How do you picture King's I, Landing? I perhaps a, a little a little less echo effect. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so we've got our conversation on the still wet floor mat. Yes. <laughs> the grumbly painter. Mm-hmm. I spent all day painting it. I thought the Are you afraid of me? Should I be? Was pretty nice. Yes, that was actually a great bit of dialogue. Yeah. It was like the two of awesome. them are really a good tennis match of acting, actually. Yeah. I think the two of them in scenes, we don't get to see a ton of them together because they've been so far apart for so much of the show. Jamie's been off with Braun or fighting with the army or this or that. You forget how good they are together in yeah. those scenes. And that scene also really ticked off all the things that needed to be discussed, including yes. the now death of all their children and Cersei's attitude. I love what she said about Tom and I didn't love it, but I admired it in the mm. sense that like he betrayed us. <sighs> And like, yeah. they're all ashes now. We're the living. Yeah, I thought it, it did feel a little heavy handed, that conversation in terms of like, these are all of the things we need to catch everyone up on before we can move on with the plot. Well, you know? it did. And that's important. But it's also yeah. true that it also showed you what Cersei is thinking and why she's doing what she's doing. For which sure. was pretty good. And I, the tension between her and Jamie. Right. Already. Including, I loved how she sort of shut Jamie down with our brother who you let go. Who killed our father. Your favorite. How did she know that? Is that well known that Jamie let um, Tyrion out of the prison before he went and murdered Tywin and then fled? I don't remember. I think she knew. I'm sure many, many nerds right now are flying to their keyboards yeah, to let us we'll know, know. But we'll find out pretty soon. Yeah, Thank by you, the nerds. end of the day, we'll, we'll know yeah. the answer to that. I just thought even the amount of distance he gave her in the room was interesting. Yeah. He didn't get close to her. He didn't embrace her. He didn't do any of those things. He stayed a fair distance away from her the whole time. Considering that he, she rather, is the only person that he has ever loved or had sex with, there was not a lot of intimacy between them. Mm -mm. And it seemed like, as you pointed out, the entire scene was staged and blocked and costumed. Him him and her armor, excuse me, him and his armor, she and her armor-like gown. Um... Which did did she have those sort of shoulder epaulets that she was wearing on the throne? That sort of almost armor like outfit. I believe so. Someone tweeted at us about the power of shoulder pads. So far. yeah, nobody. I don't think. It, I would not be surprised if those people never touch each other again because that seems to be the kind of relationship and the kind of attitude they have toward the world. Yeah. yeah. And what was it? She mentions the seven kingdoms, and Jamie says there are three. Three. You have three at best, which I thought was good. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. a good line. Also, the we need allies, and she says, do you think I listened to Father for 40 years and learned nothing? Cut to the new bad guy. Yeah, here Who's he comes. Who's the sexy pirate. <laughs> that mustache, man. I don't know. Is that, is, you just, is that like the uh. theme song to the amusing sitcom <laughs> you about him? Do that again? Yes, he's the new bad guy. Who's the sexy pirate? It's Euron. <laughs> I mean, he's so much more sort of devil-may-care about it all than almost oh any character we've seen. Yeah. This is what I love about Euron is he's sort of like, don't really care. This is kind of fun. You want to yeah. murder them? Sure. You want to murder <laughs> Let's them? Let's murder them it. together. Yeah. Sounds fun. And Can also, I... he's so dissed the Iron Islands. It's a rotten place covered with bird shit with unattractive and people. Unattractive, yeah. <laughs> she sounded like you, uh, Greta. Uh, oh, wet, wet door. door. Wet door. <laughs> A.K.A. Iron Islands. Uh, My favorite line. It's like dawn, but wet, he said. (laughs) My favorite line, which was delightfully creepy and a jab at Jamie, was here I am with a thousand ships and two good hands. Two good hands. So creepy. And then he didn't say it again. He said, I'm going to take my two good hands and I'm going to bring you a present. Yes. And that is the biggest question. I mean, at least the most intentional question. What do you think that present might be? Hmm, We may have a voicemail about that later. Yes. But My first, guess is somebody's head or other body parts. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. A I think maybe fingers. a live person, but we shall see. Yes. But uh, where's our pal Samuel Tarley? Here we are in the Citadel. <laughs> Such fine work. That's really... I'm still concerned that you don't understand how excellent <laughs> <laughs> these are. Peter, what's wrong with you? Why don't you appreciate the genius uh, of this? Okay, so we're in Old Town. Yes. Where we have perhaps the grossest montage. And there's yeah. been a lot of gross things on the show. Gross, I mean, I yeah. was actually, I had to look away. And I am someone who recently rewatched the scene from the first season in which a Khal Drogo literally rips the tongue 
out through the severed throat of an enemy. Oh, yeah. And I'm watching that and going, oh, I wonder, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. And then I'm watching this with all the bedpans and I'm like, no, God, let it be over soon. I just, I just don't go for the poop stuff. <laughs> you heard now it here we first. Know. Here first. I'm not, <laughs> not big in the poop stuff. It also occurs to me that in addition to about randomly 30 different phrase, the other thing that gets killed in this episode is time. Yeah. They are killing time. There were two sequences mm-hmm. which were much longer than they had to be mm-hmm. uh, just to get a point across. And this was by far, this was the first one. They're, they did not need to show all that for the length that they showed it just to establish that they have put Sam to work in the most menial of jobs. Just one shot of bedpans being emptied would have sufficed. But then you wouldn't get this rhythm that was almost <laughs> like a form of music. <laughs> it was delightful. <laughs> And I think it points at something that we are going to be – I talked about it last time. We're going to be talking about it again, which is they, I think, are going to have a little trouble filling up the 7 plus 6, 13 episodes left to go. Well, 12 now uh, with all the plot that remains to be done. We are going to be seeing a lot of sort of time killing, little sequences that that didn't really need to be this long. But why not make them? Because we can do fun things with the rhythm of bedpans and soup bowls. <laughs> we have a bit of a voicemail just about this very question. Hey, guys. This is Ben from Portland, Oregon. Um, thought the premiere was great. I love your show. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's episode. Um, am I the only one who thinks it's weird that after all the beheadings and murder and torture in the show, the thing that made me want to stop watching was the montage of Sam Tarley cleaning up in the Citadel? Yeah. Look forward to the show tomorrow. Thanks. It's really weird why that's true. I also remember a scene in The Sopranos, which was similar. I won't go. It it takes place in a shower. And again, it's like this is a show where we watch people getting murdered left and right. And yet watching a little poop. Like, (laughs) oh, God, oh. (laughs) We people, we TV watchers, we're weird that (laughs) way. We have weird (laughs) lines in the sand. It's true. Anyway, but but more about Sam. More about Sam and more about um, one of my new favorite characters. The Archmaester. Marwin. Is his name Marwin? That's what the internet said. Okay, thank you. <laughs> when you texted me earlier, you said Sam and Broadbent, and I was like, I'm pretty sure his name wasn't Broadbent. <laughs> it's Jim Broadbent. It's Jim Broadbent, in real life. <laughs> who, as I said in our preview episode, is one of my very favorite actors. Mm-hmm. He's lost a little weight since last time I saw him. He's uh, got a scruff going. He does. He, uh, it took me a second to recognize him. It's also the first, the second time in this show that we've been introduced to a powerful authority figure while he's in the act of cutting something open. Mm. The first time was when we met Tywin Lannister in season one, where for reasons that escape me, he was butchering a deer. And this, of course, <laughs> is different. I'm so glad you know that, Peter. Yeah, but, and I always thought about that. I was like, why are we showing this guy, wh- why when we introduce this guy, are we showing him butchering a deer as he talks to Jamie Lannister in that long ago season one episode? What is it about that kind of scene that appeals to the showrunners? To show that this is a guy who's an authority, but he literally, quite, doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And in this course, of course, he was dissecting what seemed to be a dead maester just to do some... Um, just Alcoholic to do some, maester. Yeah, just to do some scientific inquiry. For science. To, yes. Weigh the liver. I also love this. Weigh the liver. Well, what's the liver weigh? 147. What? 147 <laughs> what? Cubits. Grams? West, Westerosi pounds? Westerosi pounds. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. But as like they avoided the whole question. Stone. Yes, yes. Anyway, moving on. Niblets. It all, hear that big speech because Sam says, you know, I need to, I've seen the White Walkers and I need to get this information so we can defeat the White Please Walkers. Please let me into the restricted section of the library. Exactly. <laughs> Let's uh, hear that speech because it's great. We're not like the people south of the Twins. And we're not like the people north of the Twins. In the Citadel, we lead different lives for different reasons. We are this world's memory, Samuel Tarly. Without us, men would be little better than dogs. Don't remember any meal but the last. Can't see forward to any but the next. And every time you leave the house and shut the door, they howl like you're gone forever. When Robert's rebellion was raging, people thought the end was near. The end of the Targaryen dynasty. How will we survive? When Aegon Targaryen turned his eye westward and flew his dragons to Blackwater Rush, the end is near. How will we survive? And thousands of years before that, during the long night, we can forgive them for thinking it truly was the end, but it wasn't. None of it was. The war has stood through it all. And every winter that ever came has ended. 
So can you guys remind me, what is it that John says about walls in the very beginning of this episode? I don't remember. I do remember um, this is the second time in this same episode. I think um, Sansa says it too. Well, we always had the wall. The wall will keep them out. Right. She's making the argument to turn south. All of these people saying, don't worry, we got the wall. Oh, yeah. You know what that's foreshadowing. It's faulty. The wall, I I actually, I think I made this prediction earlier just in general aesthetic sense that this is the kind of show that would end with a tremendous physical destruction of something Mm -hmm. such as the wall. Mm -hmm. But um, I also, I think it was... Yeah, it was, uh, you know, they reshowed the last episode and I watched it. And there's Ben Jen saying the dead can't pass through the wall. And now you have all these people saying, well, don't worry about the wall. That wall is coming down. Oh, yeah, everybody. it is. It's going to be a very, very, very big scene. Well, and I think I think John says something about the the breaking down of walls between families or something like that mm. in this episode. I'll have to go back and find it. The internet will tell us. The broadband speech was really weird because I got it. You know, he's like, you're panicking. Right. And... But don't panic because we've been around for a long time and we know that all of these momentary panics are, um, are you know, the ebb nothing. And flow the of, ebb and yeah. flow of time. And yet at the same time, although he starts with this supposition that without us, men would have no understanding of past and present, he ends up arguing for the same course of action as if you had no understanding of past and present. You just go through your everyday and you wouldn't worry about stuff which is his ultimate argument. Well, don't worry about it. Just, you know, have your next meal and do whatever he criticized other less enlightened people for doing. So it's almost as if we have all this knowledge. So thus, when we don't do anything about it, we are at least being passive and stupid in an enlightened way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Sam learns. I mean, the first thing he learned was the thing that we already knew, right? Like, Dragonstone is obsidian, so hop to it. Let's get to making some weapons. Yes. But I think there is more to be found probably in the book that Gilly was reading because why else? She picked up a book and it was called like Tales of the Long Night or something Yes, Legends of the Long Night, I think it was. Legends of the Long Night. And he taught her how to read, right? He did. He did indeed. That's nice. It was interesting to me that, you know, you, Tricia, predicted that he would find something in the library to help John defeat it. And so he did. But it was funny that when he turned the page, it was this big basic map with almost an X saying <laughs> dragon glass. Here it, it is. It was the kind of thing you see in like video games. Like yeah. this incredibly, <laughs> I mean, it's, the next thing you know, there's going to be a big red switch in a wall that you have to run over to to like <laughs> save the wall or Turn something. Turn on Dragonforge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. I thought that was a little silly. The other thing in that book, though. Yes. Was a picture of a dagger. Yes. Which is a very important dagger. It was the dagger that was used in season one to attempt to uh, kill Bran that became the, in a weird way, the whole key to everything that happened because the dagger supposedly belonged to Tyrion, which made um, poor dead, uh, what's her name? Mom Stark. Catelyn. Catelyn Stark believed that Tyrion was the one who tried to kill her son and led to her taking, kidnapping Tyrion, which led to the attack on Ned Stark, which led to the war, which led to here we are. But whose knife was it? It Littlefingers. Yes. (laughs) And who has it now? Yeah. Littlefinger. Will you... Did he get it back? We believe he has it and... (laughs) We the internet. We the internet believe he has it. Also (laughs) important to note that on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, Arya Stark has it on her hip. Really? Yes. It was Aegon's dagger? Do we know that? That's what's written on the page in the book when you pause and look at it very closely. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why she's our mace. Coming through. Also worth noting in this chapter of this episode, we find out Jorah. Jorah is, we found out where he is. Yeah. He left um, the Essos and the Wastes of Slaver's Bay some time ago with the mission, go get healed. That was what I want you to do, Jorah. And eventually he found his way to the Citadel, where he's being kept in some kind of isolation ward. Some leper's colony Pretty or much. experimental treatment room of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Be- because I'm an old man, it reminded me of the solitary cells on Devil's Island in the movie Papillon. Hmm. You know, nobody, you got nope. nothing. No. No. Crickets. Trisha? Crickets. No. crickets. Can we movie. put some crickets in there? <laughs> cool. <laughs> where there's like these solitary cells where they hand in soup uh-huh. through a little slot. Hmm. It also, it occurs to me, so we know that, going back to that horrific montage, we know that Samwell is um, working the library, putting books back. He's serving meals to the maesters. He's cleaning up the maesters' bedpans. And now he, now we also know he's serving food to the 
patients slash prisoners in this medical uh, solitary confinement ward, do they have no other servants? At the Citadel? Does this like, was it, who was doing this before this, the before this guy showed up? It was interns. It was interns. Yeah. Citadel interns. They ran out of, they had to start paying the interns, so they figured they should just have Sam do it. Oh, no. <laughs> we have just a couple of locations left. One is the namesake of the episode, but one precedes that. Somewhere in route to somewhere it's like a Sergio Leone movie now. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. That's I a wasn't good one. exactly <laughs> sure where the hound was yeah. geographically. He was in the Riverlands, and of course they had yeah. that. They had that. Um, she did write that down for the record. And they had that flashback in the previously on to. I, I think it was from season four. I'm told, where uh, we're traveling through wherever they were heading towards. Arya and the hound came across this this small folk guy, as they call him in the books, this peasant who. Uh, Clegane then kills or stabs to take his stuff, I Yeah, think. he robs from him and hits him, but they leave him alive, but just with no money. Right. And then they're going to starve in the winter, Arya argues. And er, and then Arya's kind of mad at him for doing that to these people who are nice to them. And he says they were going to starve in the winter anyway. Turns out, yeah, they totally starved. Yes, and although it turns out to be even much more brutal as we do that little forensic uh, examination of their... Yes, yeah, CSI, 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 CSI Westeros, <laughs> uh, in which uh, Thoros of Mir... He of the man bun um, says, well, obviously what happened here is a knife. There's covered with blood. He must have killed his daughter to spare her and then killed himself. And yeah. so poor Grigor Clegane is sort of looking at that and going, oh, look what I did. There's an interesting parallel change. Is Remember, they used to travel around together, Arya and Clegane, and it was innocent, pretty much, young lady versus hardened, cynical, murdering older guy. And they are switching places. Arya is becoming hardened and cynical and murderous. And he is getting a heart. His heart mm. is growing bigger. Oh, that makes me that makes me want them to hang out again. Well, Maybe they are, meet up. We, He's one of my favorites. Yeah, we we love him. We love them together. And we also should not forget that he is on Arya's list. Oh yeah. Ever mm. since he killed the butcher boy way back in season one. So mm. when the you know when they get together, there's going to be a moment of of reversal of fortune of Arya having to decide whether how far she's gone down this road of being an implacable murderer because she's going to murder this guy who as we see is is turning into as we watch a good guy. Well, and he left Brienne for dead too, right? Yeah. So, well, no. He, no, no she, she left she him left for dead him after for Brienne dead, right. killed him. Yeah. Yeah. And but, now he gets to see things in the fire. Yeah, which was weird. <laughs> and, and we re- well, it was weird. And remember that Clegane is terrified of fire because yeah. he was burned when he's a young man. Of we course, remember. I ended up with a bunch of fire worshippers. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of self-aware conversation, like the conversation about the man bun. Who are you fooling, bald guy? <laughs> top knot? Didn't he call it a top he knot? It a top. I don't think he, he actually it, said man bun. He didn't say man bun, but we know what he said. He's, we know that top knot is Westerosi for man bun. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so uh, what? Anything else? There's Beric Dondarrion, who's still who's still with us in the books. Of course, he's long gone and replaced by somebody we wanted to see but never will. I think it's just to remind us that the Lord of Light does seem to have power. Yes, that we it's don't real. understand. There is some bit of magic or something because yeah. people keep getting brought back from the dead. And the, the Hound is very skeptical, but then when he sees things in the fire, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I guess maybe there is a powerful hard to argue thing at play here. It, it actually made me think for the first time that the Lord of Light is not merely an excuse for some people to have magic, but he's actually a character, i.e. there is a, a, an intentional force out there manipulating things for his, well, they'll call him, they call him, a, his name is Azor Azai, isn't, is that... The name of the god or the name of the, the, the legendary hero. I forget. The legendary hero Zorahai is the light bringer. Who, right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah. there is a force out there who's acting on these people through these mystical means by resurrecting this person or giving a vision to that. Yeah. Because it, yeah, it doesn't seem like magic in that the Red Woman can't always do what she wants. Right. Thoros can't always do what he wants, but they are a vessel of some sort for right. these other actions yes. to take place. And so the, you begin to think in a way that I haven't so far. That it's not just a source of magic for people, the the character, say, of Melisandre to use. But there's, a, as she says, I just do what he wants. I'll be dumb when he's done with me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to buy that, that there's something out there manipulating these people. Well, and I have to say the religion nerd in me is really interested in like, how much the story is going to end up being about a transition from a polytheistic culture to a monotheistic culture, which is something that has happened in... Human history. Human history. Although, interestingly enough, you know that George R. R. Martin based the notion of the religion of the seven on Catholicism's idea of a trinity. 
He said, mm. well, you know, Catholicism has a three-headed God or a, th- a, a three-person Godhead. Why not seven? Sure. So, but I mean, knows? even that is pretty yeah. ancient stuff yeah. too. Yeah, right? it is interesting. And certainly, I mean, as we've pointed out before, the difference between the Lord of Light uh, and the seven is that the Lord of Light actually does stuff in the world. Right. There are actual miracles happening every right. now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a different thing. It's not just one kind of religion versus another. It's like something real versus something, as far as we know, until the father shows up to do something father-like or the see? maid or the crone. I mean, could be cool, right? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. One more location. Ooh. Dragonstone. <laughs> We've broken Peter. I think we broke that him. one. Sounded like a, one of the sound effects in the old Mortal Kombat, <laughs> except he should have been saying "headbreaker" or "double double hit." Jeez, that is just a, this is the other time killing that it seemed interminable wordless sequence of them arriving at Dragonstone. Yes, and but I, it did culminate in a pretty sweet scene. Was, like I was fired up by the end. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was fun at the end, but it could have taken half as much time. Yes, we for didn't sure. need to have all the reveals. There's no. the there's there's Dragonstone from the sea. There's the beach. There's them rowing on the boat. There's Daenerys touching the sand of the land where she was born. I think technically where she was born on a ship in a harbor. There's her walking going through the first set of gates. Walking up, walking up, walking up, walking up. Here's the second set of gates. Walking up, walking up. Here's the very <laughs> cool-looking throne. Again, props to the art director. That is a cool throne. Yeah. Is it made of obsidian? Seem that way. I hope so. That would I be thought cool. so. That'd be great if they end up like defeating the White Walkers by dropping that throne on them. And then finally into the map room. Shall we begin? Shall we begin? Which is a great way to end Pretty an episode. Pretty awesome. Yep. All right, so in a minute, we will take your calls. And by that, we mean your voicemails. Right, yeah. We're, we're just going to open up the phone. <laughs> Hello, anybody there? No? <laughs> no? Oh. All right. Okay, so for the record, if you want to ask a question or suggest a topic for future episodes about your feelings and whatever, you can call us 312-948-4687. You could also use the Twitters. We have this hashtag GOT Nerdcaps mm-hmm. that's been going pretty well so far. Okay, so with no further ado, should we listen to a voicemail? Let's do it. Hey, Nerdette and Peter. I was wondering how Dragonstone was so deserted. I'm sure Stannis took everyone with him when he left, but why did no one else come along and take advantage of an empty castle that was apparently unlocked? Okay, bye. A fair question. A good question. In the books, it's not. Uh, but of course, by that time in the books, we are so far off the storyline of the TV show that it would be impossible to de- to describe it. Basically, your supposition is correct that Dragonstone w- wouldn't have been left undefended. And even if it had been, somebody would have w- moved in in the, God, it must be, what, three or four years now since Stannis left? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it seems odd to me. It also seems odd that, you know, it seems to be such a barren rock. Like, what are they, how are they going to feed all their horses and all the people on this barren rock? I do think that although they could have put it on Airbnb or something and there could be some people there. <laughs> that Westeros Airbnb. Dragonstone it has a vantage point from its windows that would let you see an armada and dragons coming toward you from yeah. the sea. Yeah. So if there were squatters or yeah. anyone left in Dragonstone, I would be hiding and or gone by the time the ships and dragons actually it, got to it, me. It looked pretty deserted, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, the scenes, the sets were decorated to look like things had fallen over and nobody had picked them up. Yeah. Uh, I think, th- was there even, like, dust on the map? I mean, I think that the, the implication was yeah. it had been abandoned for years. And I, I agree. It's, I guess they just didn't want to bother with that plot point, so they decided, it's been abandoned. It's a little goofy. Okay, another voicemail. Hi, Internet. This is uh, Nick in Harrisburg. And Trevor in Rhode Island. Oh, we were talking to Tommy because we had a couple of questions. So, our first question is: Assuming that was Jorah Mormont at the end of the episode with the grayscale hand, yeah, does this mean that the writers are kind of giving some credence to the fan theory that someone is trying to weaponize, that someone will eventually weaponize grayscale um, to distribute, you know, maliciously throughout the uh, throughout Westeros? And our second question is, do you think that Euron Greyjoy's gift to Cersei is going to be one of Danny's dragons, not Drogon, but one of the other two, in order to show that having a dragon does not automatically mean victory? Because if it did, then the show could just be two episodes where she goes and burns Cersei alive and takes over King's Landing and then goes to the north. 
Thanks, and uh, we'll call you next week. I love the teamwork in the voicemail. Oh, conference calling. That's, That's really great. nice. <laughs> I was surprised by the technology for yes. some reason. <laughs> Um, to answer your first question, I think weaponizing grayscale, the maesters doing that, that strikes me as very outlandish. For one thing, what kind of weapon would an incredibly slow-acting disease <laughs> – I mean, it's bas- I mean, it's a basically leprosy that also makes you crazy. So what possible use could that have? Like, there, now I've infected your army with grayscale, and in four to five years, you'll yeah. be doomed. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, the, the question, though, about the dragons and what Euron's gift might be is a good one because we remember, or at least those of us who read the books or listened to some expository dialogue remember that Aegon the Conqueror, 300 years before, came over with three dragons and basically was unstoppable, wiped out all the all the forces of the Seven Kingdoms instantly, almost. When you're the only Air Force, you win. (laughs) Exactly. Air supremacy, as they say in the business. And so, as he points out, and we've talked about this as well, she's got three dragons, too, uh, who are, to use his phrase about grayscale, weaponized. You can use them to attack people. So there's no reason this whole series couldn't end next week. Oh, yes, here comes Daenerys. She kills everybody with a dragon. She wins. So there has to be legitimate obstacles put in her way. One of those could be she loses a dragon. There's a dragon on the other side. One of those could be that we now see there's a vulnerability to the dragons that nobody knew about before. That's a possible way for them to go. I feel like the dragons are allegiant to Daenerys. Yeah. Like, I would be very surprised if the dragon was like, oh, yeah, Cersei, that's cool. But maybe he just kills one and brings it to her. It's possible. There has to be some obstacle to prevent Daenerys just from launching her invasion next episode and winning. And the loss of a dragon. Dragon, I'm sure, is something that the writers must have discussed. I do wonder if the dragons are just sort of not quite as useful as, say, you know, a computerized drone or a plane with a pilot, in that Danny seems to be able to keep them from burning her to a crisp, but it's unclear. How specifically How they take direction in combat. True. That's very true. If the, the scene in which uh, she defeats the, the Marinese fleet, um, not the, the slavers fleet back in Marine, seemed to indicate that they do exactly what she wants. That's good. And so, for yeah. And bad for story. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, like I think, I think that the, 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 these guys pointed out, whether they meant to or not, a, a really important thing, which is, as I said, we have to find out some reason why her obvious course of action right now won't work or can't work. Mm-hmm. I do think, separate from that, though, that the gift is not a dragon because I don't think that this, you know, our new pirate friend knows how to kill a dragon. I do think he's good at capturing people and I do know of someone who's good at getting captured and that would be Tyrion. So I think Euron is going to sneak into Dragonstone, steal Tyrion, bring him back alive. Hmm. Then you're going to have the conflict of Jamie and Cersei deciding whether or not to kill him. And oh, then... I don't think at this point that's going to be much of a conflict. Right? Well, we'll see. I mean, remember the last yeah, time yeah, Jamie Lannister saved Tyrion? What happened? Not so, good things. Not good things. So, I, yeah, I think if Tyrion gets captured, it's going to be bad news for Tyrion unless someone get, rescues him. So It uh, wouldn't be Game of Thrones if Peter Dinklage wasn't tied up in a boat somewhere. True. Being snarky at someone yeah, for a while. Yeah, he just didn't have enough lines. <laughs> this also raises the question, a lot of people speculated that we'd lose a major character this first episode because that's the Game of Thrones way, yeah, yeah. to paraphrase Tyrion. And uh, it didn't happen. So I wonder if it's going to happen, if we're going to have a major departure from the scene of one of these major players in a big surprise way in the manner of the Red Wedding. I mean, can't we put money that that's going to happen? I, I love. Think so. I wonder if someone will die in this season of well, Game of I Thrones. Wonder if a ma- <laughs> the question is, what major character is going to suddenly be killed yes. in a way that nobody saw coming as happened with the Red Wedding and Joffrey choking to death and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's fair. We have one more voicemail. Hey, uh, just watched the episode. And I was really pleased with the gender parody in nudity, which is to say, like, essentially none. I think that's probably the only way we're going to even those scales. But uh, I know that probably some naked stuff is coming up in the season. I was still surprised that they didn't really throw any in at all here. And I was wondering, do you guys think that's because the story has kind of moved away from places people might be nakeding with each other, or do you think it's like the backlash about Jimmy and Cersei and uh, Amelia Clark not doing topless scenes anymore? Do you think it's been a more conscious choice away from the titillation? Anyways, I hope you guys liked it. I do love the verb to naked. 
To naked, to naked it up. <laughs> I, I, my guess is, I have no information, is that it's a combination of things. For one thing, the story has come to the point where nobody really has anybody left that they want to be naked with. We talked about how Jamie mm. and Cersei, who were the only extant lovers, I think, left in the show, really aren't that in the mood, to put it mildly. And who else is there? Um, nobody else, with the exception, God, there's Sansa and Baelish. That would be awful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and and there's Tormund, Giantsbane, and yeah, Brienne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, but, no, and no, that, no. And that's it. I mean, even Samwell, who has his lovely girlfriend, is, yeah, they're separated, it yeah. seems, by at least space, if not time. So who would get naked with whom? I, Arya also, Stark and Gendry. Oh, yeah, but I mean, there please. used to be all sorts of naked people all the time. Like, not Sex even position. main characters, yes. just like people doing uh, it I, For example, uh, in, the, in the final episode of season one, there's that bizarre scene, which I had totally forgotten about, in which Pacelle... Uh, yeah, has this strange exactly. moment in which he is exposit he's sort of doing a little expository conversation about himself and his role and how he survives and he's served all these kings and this is how he's learned to survive and then it ends with that great moment where he starts to pretend to be old and doddering again and that entire conversation is had with a naked woman with the now dead um, prostitute Ross who spent most of her time in the show naked and I think, yeah, they... There's just no time for gratuitous nudity anymore? My guess is is that all the, the bitching about sex position and the teasing about sex position eventually got to them. And, and another thing is they needed to do that way back when because they had a lot of exposition, all this backstory. Everybody had this enormous backstories, and they had to relate them. And what better way to relate them than having a usually attractive naked woman in the back? Yeah, it does remind me that we used to do a boobs and butts count. Yeah. Because there were so many of them. And none. And none so far. But I think we should, we should keep an eye on that. Yes, we absolutely will be watching for boobage and buttage. Okay. All right, before we go, again, thank you for all the voicemails. We'll try to get to even more next week, so keep calling, keep calling. That phone number again is 312-948-4687. We have someone else watching along with us as our producer, Justin, who has never seen the show before but got this assignment. Right, but I, w- I did watch this first episode, and you know you guys addressed a few of these already, but uh, things I noticed, why is winter so important? Seems to be very... <laughs> Something that's, uh, you know, everyone's looking for. Why is the sister from the guy from Seven Days in Hell so upset with him? Why is everyone pronouncing Dynasty Dynasty? These are important questions. How much did Ed Sheeran get paid for this? Uh, was Ed Sheeran killed by that young badass girl? Or man buns or top knots actually popular in the Middle Ages? And then just why is Dragonstone so crappy? Seems like a fixer-upper. Those are all really good questions. Those are great questions, Justin. From the mouths of babes. <laughs> so Justin, having never seen anything before, I think the one we can answer is why is winter so important, which is that uh, they don't happen often, but when they do, sometimes they are very, very long. They last forever. And maybe last forever. And it's difficult to farm, et cetera, et cetera. So winter is just difficult for yeah. the society. But also the zombie White Walkers can only exist in the cold. And so the threat of these undead snow living in creatures is the problem. That's yeah. really the problem. I was once at an event with George R. R. Martin some years ago, and someone raised their hand to ask a question and says, so we've been thinking about how these seasons work, and we've decided that it's a planet in an unstable orbit oh. with a satellite. That's... <laughs> and George Martin looked at him and said, yeah, and the moon is made of green cheese. I just made it up. <laughs> well, but climate differences in Isaac Asimov's work are because a planet's tipping on its axis. That's why we had an ice age, many scientists think. So we're trying to put science into this world, which, yes, does involve dragons. Well, yeah, and, and for George to be like, no, guys, that's not, yeah, there's just, no need. He just decided of, okay. that's how it works on this place and just shut up about it. All right. Otherwise, Dragonstone is a fixer-upper. I think that, you know, Missandei and Grey Worm can get to work while they decide whether or not to go fight and uh, spruce in the place up. And, Justin, obviously you're just not concerned enough about your own dynasty. Yes. (laughs) House bull. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so to reiterate, we do want you to join this conversation as well. You can call and leave us voicemails. 312-948-4687 is that phone number. We also have a toll-free one if for some reason you are averse to Chicago area codes. That number is 855-923-9993, and we'll put that on our Facebook and stuff, too, so you can find it. And don't forget, you can talk to us on the Twitters by using the hashtag GOTNerdCaps. And Peter is at Peter Segel, and we are at Nerd at Podcast. Trisha is at Trisha Bobita. I'm at Greta M. Johnson. 
Thanks to Awesome YA Librarian for leaving us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. I feel like our audience probably has a lot of awesome YA librarians yeah. in it, so thank you to all of you. 70% YA librarian, <laughs> I guess. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull, and our executive producer is Joel Meyer. And our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. See you guys next week. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.